Concerns about the future reliability of electricity in New York amid the state's planned transition away from fossil fuels and toward renewable energy were given new life recently as a recent forecast from the state's independent grid operator found that New York City could have a gap in its energy needs as early as the summer of 2025. For more on this quarterly short-term assessment of reliability and the issue of a reliable grid more broadly, we're joined by Rich Dewey, president and CEO of the New York Independent System Operator. Welcome back to the show, Rich. David, thanks for having me back. Always a pleasure. So generally speaking, this is not a new tune from the New York Independent System Operator, as I feel like every time you and I talk, part of our conversation revolves around the future reliability of the grid amid our green transition. So what is unique or different about this latest report? So this report is really part of an ongoing common practice where we continually look at the future of the electric grid, anticipating certain changes that we know about. This particular report is assessing the summer of 2025. And what's unique about this report is considering the DEC's emissions compliance rules and the desire to uh, retire off of the system some of the highest emitting resources, um, what this report is indicating, it's the first time where the replacement supply is not coming fast enough to allow the retirements that we need to see. Uh, If you think about the DEC rules, there was uh, the successful retirement of 1,000 megawatts of the dirtiest peakers on the system were successfully done this year in 2023 in advance of the summer. And then the next compliance phase in 2025, which is targeting another 500 megawatts at that time, um, we're looking at uh, the pace of the new supply that's coming in, things like offshore wind, onshore wind, um, specifically the new cable that's coming down from Quebec with clean hydropower. And what we're seeing is the, uh, the timing of the entry and the exit is such that um, we're not going to be able to let those retire on time. So is it safe to say that this point that we're at now in terms of what you're projecting is not necessarily a surprise. It was one very likely outcome based on where we were heading. We knew it was going to be close. So the DEC set some very aggressive targets. Um, We manage the power system in New York State to the most stringent reliability criteria. And that's critically important. We got the most important city in the country. Um, and it's so important to the economy and to, uh, uh, to the health and safety of New Yorkers. We want to make sure that we don't prematurely retire some of these resources unless we're certain we've got adequate supply. So we've seen a little bit of delay in some of these big projects, uh, not wholly in, unanticipated. And we're not talking about a permanent extension. We're really just talking about um, keeping the assets in place um, until we, we're sure that we got that new supply. So it's really just managing the transition as far as I'm concerned. And how big of a deficit is New York City looking at for that summer of 2025? So we're anticipating about 446 megawatts. Uh, That's incorporating uh, the uncertainty in the load forecast. uh, And and that deficit is really uh, sitting on top of um, the knowledge that there's another big project that's going to be coming in uh, as early as the spring of 2026, and that project being the Champlain-Hudson Express. Uh, When that project is in service, then this deficit will go away. 
Now, 446 megawatts means basically nothing to me. So can you provide some context on that number? I mean, is this a a large amount of power we're talking about here? Or is this a relatively small gap that we could cover if we just tell everybody to shut off their air conditioners for an hour? It's it's a it's not a gigantic gap. When you think about what the peak load in New York City on the hottest summer day is, it's somewhere between 30 and 32,000 megawatts. So we're looking at 446 megawatts on top of that. It's a very small percentage. Um, these resources that we're talking about, I mean, they're called peakers for a reason. We only use them a couple of days a year, and it's only in those extenuating circumstances when we don't have any other resources to tap into. Uh, So, but we still think it's critically important to make sure we've got enough of those resources to cover the peak. Things like demand response and uh, uh, and voluntary uh, curtailment of of services like air conditioning, like you just described, are measures that we would put in place. This is really just about making sure that when those uh, steps don't achieve the kind of reductions that we need, just making sure that we've got plants in place so we can meet demand. And how much wiggle room is there in your projection, either based on the variables of demand or the variables in the pace of new projects and new transmission lines that uh, might come online? There is a little bit of wiggle room. You know, we do two things. One is we maintain what's called reserves. So as we go into each operating day, we have a pretty good line of sight in what the demand is going to be. And and we're never off by more than, you know, a percent or so from a day-to-day basis. But what's really important is uh, thinking about those unforeseen circumstances like a lightning strike, which could take out a power line or a generator that we anticipate or are counting on running encounters uh, mechanical problems and it's got to come offline. So we make sure we've got adequate resistance supply to cover those gaps. And uh, we don't always need it. We actually rarely need it. But uh, on the days that we do, we're sure glad that we have it. And there's this general assumption that the New York City power concerns that you're highlighting for 2025 could be addressed in 2026 with transmission projects that are going to bring hydro uh, power from Canada down to the downstate area. But would that be a consistent capacity increase? Or could you potentially see concerns in the winter as a result of hydroelectric power not actually coming down from from Canada uh, in the winter months? As we look into the future, um, that will become a concern that we've got to pay more attention to. Right now, New York is still a summer peaking system, and a large part of our demand is driven by air conditioning load in the summer. But when you think about the broader economy-wide targets of the climate legislation, which will lead to the electrification of a lot of the buildings and and vehicle load, uh, winter is going to become an increasing concern and the ability to meet that demand in the winter. In fact, by the year 2032, which seems like it's pretty far away, but it's really not, we're anticipating that we're going to be a winter peaking system where our demands in the winter are going to be higher. Um, It's something we look at every single year. Uh, These studies that we're talking about uh, today, we actually do on a quarterly basis because the system changes so fast. Um, But as we start thinking about what the latter part of this decade and early next decade is, uh, winter is going to be the bigger concern, and we're going to have to start paying attention to that. And what about outside of New York City? Is there an expectation that any parts of the state outside of the five boroughs might be running an energy deficit in the near future? 
It, it could be. I wouldn't say the near future, but certainly the midterm. Uh, one of the things that we're starting to pay attention to, uh, and this is really a good news story for New York, there is a lot of electric system growth that's driven by economic development. We've read about some of the big chip fab projects taking uh, taking shape upstate uh, in central New York and western New York, and even in the capital district. Uh, those projects, if they all come online, will create a, a fairly sizable electric demand um, that, uh, that, that could run into some headwinds if we don't get these big infrastructure projects done on time. So when you start thinking about uh, some of these wind projects, whether it's onshore wind or offshore wind and the cable from Quebec, um, that energy supply is going to be important, not only to maintain reliability, but also to meet the economic growth and all the jobs that, uh, that are represented within that. Politico New York's uh, Marie French has reported that some of the developers of renewable energy projects that the state is committed to already are looking for additional funds uh, to cover the costs of these projects. And she's explained to me that they have the ability, if they don't get additional funding, to basically just walk away from these projects. And we've also seen uh, the state sort of slow roll the awarding of uh, additional projects right now. So how, if at all, does that increase the lack of certainty about uh, our future renewable energy supply moving forward? And is that something that will be more concrete for your next quarter report? Well, it certainly gives us some concern. You know, the timing of this new supply is really uh, is really critical from our needs to be uh, be able to meet reliability. It, it's indicative of some of the global challenges of supply chain and inflation. Um, so it's not just a New York problem; it's really an industry wide problem. But it really all points to the strategy of not prematurely retiring the existing supply until we're certain that we've got enough new supply to meet the new load. And that's really what we look at in all of our studies. So we pay attention to the in-service dates, the planned in-service dates uh, to all these new projects and to the extent that there's contractual issues or delays that push those out. Uh, we will factor that into all of our on, uh, upcoming studies to make sure that we've got the most accurate picture of, of what to expect from a reliability standpoint. And moving forward, is the only realistic response to this report to keep the peaker plants online longer? Or are there any other policy decisions that could be made in the short term to address that forecasted gap for 2025? Yeah, so there is a process that we're going to follow. It doesn't automatically jump to the extension of the peakers. Uh, So the first step is in our responsibility is to identify the need uh, and, and the size of that need and when it manifests itself. So what our report indicates, it's about 446 megawatts starting in the summer of 2025. Um, what we will do now is we will issue a solicitation for solutions um, to try to identify what other measures could be taken to shrink or potentially even eliminate that need. Um, things that could solve or, or help mitigate the problem are more demand response solutions. Uh, storage, for example, can be built fairly quickly. And if it's interconnected in the right location, uh, could help solve the problem. So we're going to go through that exercise over the next couple of months. Uh, we'll identify what solutions might help mitigate it. And then, then and only then, if we still have a gap, would we uh, look at extension of the peakers that are slated for retirement? But 
from your perspective as someone who lives and breathes these issues, do you feel like there are a wide variety of options or are we heading towards one pretty clear response, which is extending the life of some of these peakers? Uh, so certainly, I mean, and the two I mentioned, storage and demand response are very viable. Um, I would expect that we will not get enough uh, in terms of a response such that um, some of the peakers wouldn't have to be extended. But what we're trying to do is just go through this exercise to make sure that uh, we limit the actions that we need to take to only what is was completely needed. So I, I think there'll be a mix of mix of response. Well, we've been speaking with Rich Dewey. He is the president and CEO of the New York Independent System Operator. Rich, thank you so much for making the time. I really appreciate it. David, uh, always a pleasure to talk to you. Thanks for having me on. And for more Capital Press Room content, visit capitalpressroom.org or wherever you download your favorite podcasts. And if you listen to us from an Apple device, make sure to leave us a rating and a review so it helps other people find the show. business agency or service interested in delivering your message to more than two dozen radio stations statewide carrying Capital Press Room? If so, visit capitalpressroom.org to contact our underwriting team.